I have a question for you this morning, and that is simply, how happy are you? Last Sunday, we began to look at this idea of happiness, or in the words of Psalm 1, blessedness. Uh, Blessed is the man, or blessed is the man, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We see that the supremely happy or blessed person is a person who's committed to God's Word, in whose life the Word of God dwells, and in whose life the Word of God shapes and transforms him. The very first psalm deals with the happiness of God's people as related to our commitment to God's Word. So then I think it's no accident that in the first recorded sermon of Jesus, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus begins by addressing this matter of happiness or blessedness. Do you remember what he said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and yes, even those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The first nine statements out of the mouth of Jesus here start with the word blessed, or in some translations, happy. And then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to talk about the lives of those who are thus blessed. That we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives instructions about how we are to live. If we indeed are among those who are blessed, if we indeed are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, there are certain things that ought to characterize us. And frankly, as we read through those, and in a little bit later, I'll kind of summarize sections of those. But as we read through those, we see how overwhelming the, the challenge is to be these kind of people, to live like this. In fact, in ourselves, apart from the Lord's grace and power, it's impossible Jesus gives us hope. He gives us a way. And that's what brings us to our text this morning, this scripture passage we're going to look at, which is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. So join me in turning there as we read these words from our Lord Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, and that is evil in comparison to God who is perfect, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask 
him. As we consider this matter of of prayer and asking and seeking and knocking, I want to point out three things from these verses. Number one is the purpose of prayer. Excuse me. The purpose of prayer. That is the purpose of prayer as it relates to what Jesus has been talking about and what he says here. Secondly, the promises of prayer. And then thirdly, the practice of prayer. Notice, first of all, the purpose of prayer. Jesus says, which, which of you? If a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, Jesus replaces the word good things with the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing, the best thing, especially in light of what we are called to be and are called to do. Good things. The Lord delights. God delights to give good things to his children. In John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Sometimes we we get the idea that God is is withholding the best things from us. And we have to beg and plead. And that's not what this passage is saying at all. But what this passage and many others teach us is God loves to give good things, the best things to his children. And prayer is the primary means that God has chosen to use to give good things or good gifts to his children children. He wants us to come to him and ask for these good things. And there are a few reasons why. Certainly God can give us good things without us asking. However, God is as concerned, if not more concerned, with our relationship with him as he is with giving us even good things. And there is the development of that relationship with the Lord as we regularly, daily come to him and ask of him the things that he has promised to provide for us. But there's another reason as well. We like to be independent. At least I do. I don't know about you. We, we like to feel that, you know, we, we, can, we can do it. If necessary, we can do it on our own, Right? Prayer is a reminder, not to God, but to us, that we can't do it on our own and that we do need the Lord. It's an act of faith, an act of dependence on our God and Father. But then the third reason, and I think the most important reason for the context here, is that there are some things, some good things, we simply can't get unless we ask, unless we seek, unless we knock. Because there are things that we can't do on our own. There are things that really are supernatural. They are spiritual things 
that the Lord must give to us, that he must do in and for us. So we need to ask. But there are a couple of things that we need to understand as we ask these, for these good things in the name of the Lord Jesus. First of all, we need to pray in accordance with God's will. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, we read this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We need to pray according to his will. Now, there are times when we don't know what the Lord's will is. In Romans 8, we're told the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we pray about things and it's right to do so, not knowing for sure what God's will is in the situation. Like when someone is very ill, is it God's will to heal or is it God's will to give grace in this situation for this person to be able to bear it. But we should pray fervently and confidently for those things that we know are God's will. This is why we shouldn't pray to win the Mega Millions or the Powerball, no no matter how much good we think we could do with that money. This is why we shouldn't pray for anything that God prohibits. There are things that God declares in his word are not his will, and we should not pray for those things. But then we should pray for things that are God's will. We should pray for daily provision. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And daily bread there just is representative of our daily needs, our provisions for food and clothing and shelter and the things that that we need. Also, we need to pray for the Lord's protection, especially spiritual protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to pray for spiritual protection, that we would not give in to sin, that we would be able to resist the evil one. Also, we should pray for physical healing. Um, there are instructions in Scripture and examples that we should do that. Now, again, sometimes we don't know exactly God's will uh, in a certain situation, but, but it's okay to pray for that, just knowing that we have to submit the resolution of it to the Lord. But in this passage... These are not the primary things that Jesus has in mind when he tells us to ask and seek and not because God wants to give us good things. Then what does he have in mind? What are those good things? Well, this passage comes near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said at the beginning, this sermon is focused on what I would call kingdom issues. It addresses the character of the kingdom. That's what the Beatitudes deal with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who mourn over their sin, their poverty of spirit, those who 
uh, are meek, that is, yielded to God's will, submissive to his will, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who recognize that they don't have righteousness and they need the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that righteousness that is uh, credited to their account, but they need a practical righteousness. They need to, to grow in righteousness, in holiness. It addresses the matter of kingdom, the kingdom call. We are called to be salt and light. It addresses kingdom conduct. That is where Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to describe that kingdom conduct, how it goes to the spirit of the law in addition to the letter of the law, dealing with things like murder and adultery or lust and dealing with things like our our speech and even dealing with how we treat those who don't like us, those called enemies, those who would persecute us, how we are to respond, how we are to treat them, how we are to love them. Our behavior is not to be conditioned by the culture in which we live or the people that we encounter. Our behavior, our conduct is to be in accordance with the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to follow in his steps. We are to reflect his character this, and our kingdom conduct. Then he addresses kingdom confidence. That is in trusting the Lord to meet our needs. Kingdom commitment. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And even kingdom critiquing. That is not judging others. Not telling a brother to get the speck out of his eye when we have a, when we have a log in our own eyes. Now, anyone who takes seriously these words of the Lord Jesus Christ, these demands of the kingdom, knows how impossible they are on our own. So Jesus gives us hope. He gives us help. What does he say? Ask, seek, knock for what you lack. The good things that Jesus says will be given are those which we find we are in great need of as we try to have a righteousness that is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is desperately needed in our lives all the time, but it is especially needed in our day among believers, and I mean right now. When so many Christians appear to be confused about how we're to live, how we're to respond to our enemies, what our priorities should be, which kingdom should come first in our lives. So I appeal to you who profess faith in Christ and seek to submit to him as Lord, please let God's word be the dominating voice in your life and ask him to grant you the grace. Ask him and seek and knock so that your life will be shaped. Your attitudes, your actions, your speech, your texting and typing and all of that will be shaped not by any of the social media platforms or news networks, whether on the left or on the right. 
and pray, pray, pray for godly wisdom and for obedience to Christ alone. Pray for kingdom character, for kingdom conduct, for kingdom confidence, for kingdom commitment and kingdom critique as you seek to follow the kingdom call to be salt and light. That's the purpose in this context of prayer. Secondly, notice the promise of prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. I, I, I said, again, multiple times, God likes to give. He is a giver. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. He gives, he has given to us his spirit. He gives to us forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, adoption into his family. He is a giver. He gives and he gives and he gives and he delights to do so. He said, so Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Now we need to balance a couple of things. First of all, um, is the fact that God is a giver. He is a loving father who likes to give good things to his children. And we see throughout scripture how God makes great promises to his people. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And, and don't underestimate how important that is. You will seek me and find me. There is nothing more important in our lives than finding God than knowing that we know the Lord and are rightly related to him. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that giving again, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously, freely give us all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide or give the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. God delights to give. But there's a balancing truth, and that is this. Again, as I indicated earlier, it needs to be in accordance with God's will. In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, after rebuking his readers for not asking the Lord, he writes this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Whatever those may be. We need to ask for those things that God delights to give his children. The best things. Tim Keller tells this story from his early when he was in his early 20s. <clears throat> he writes, I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry, but she wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Of course, in hindsight, it was the wrong girl. 
I actually did what I could to help God with the prayer because one summer, near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. I was saying, Lord, I'm making this as easy as possible for you. I have asked you for this, and I have even taken the geographical distance away. But as I I look back, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. And that's what we want. We need to be grateful that oftentimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want him to. But he answers them in accordance with his will in the best way for what is best for us. One writer expresses it like this. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. God delights to hear and answer the prayers of his people. But there's one more thing we need to see here, and that is the practice of prayer. I'm not going to give you a a list of what to pray for and how to pray or anything like that, but there are two things in these verses that we need to take notice of. First of all, notice that there is progression. Progression, I would say, in intensity. You see the progression, the earnestness or intensity in these words, ask, seek, knock. You know, to ask is, is one thing, it's relatively easy. But then seeking means we go, we go a little further, we're a little more involved in it, we're a little more invested in it, maybe in time or in trouble. But then there is knocking, which, which is truly bold, which is truly something that, that we would only do if we were maybe desperate to receive what we want. Again, it's not that God is reluctant or unwilling, but it's about what is done in us. It is about God using these, this intensity of prayer in us and for us. In James 5, 17, we're told this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. You know, James could have easily left out the word fervently, and we would have gotten maybe the same sense out of it. He prayed that it might not rain, because that's, that's what happened. Uh, Elijah prayed that it might not rain. It didn't rain. But we believe in what's called plenary verbal inspiration. That is that every word is inspired and every word is important. So James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, putting that word fervently there is a reminder to us that God desires that we are serious. We are serious about what he is serious about. And that is... In the case of Matthew 7, it's our character, our conduct, our righteousness, our likeness to the Lord Jesus. And that is not something that comes easily. That is not something that comes quickly. That is not something that comes often as we would like for it to. 
The Lord uses a number of means to bring that. Sometimes, often he uses suffering. Often he uses hardship and difficult situations so that we might earnestly, so that we might not just ask, but that we might also seek and that we might also knock. Then the second thing is not only the progression in intensity, but also the persistence that is revealed in these. Now, we don't catch it quite in our English translations. But in the Greek, we find that these are three what are called present imperatives. Now, you know imperative, it just means it's a command. We are to do this, right? Uh, ask, not seek, knock. It, these are commands. But the present tense means that the action is continual. It means it's not something we just do once, but it's something that we are to continue to do, to be doing continually. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. We find an illustration uh, and an example of this in Luke 11, which I referred to earlier. This is something of a parallel passage. Um, The disciples in verse 1 ask, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then he gives them what I would call a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer. And then beginning in verse 5, we read this. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence, um, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. His confidence, his boldness, his persistence. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So we see here that we are to be even impudent, seemingly, in our requesting the Lord. Why? Because we have a God who, who is lazy and doesn't want to give, give up and give us anything because he's in bed at night. No! This is a contrast a contrast between the way we are and the way God is. If we can be prevailed upon, even out of inconvenience and discomfort, to respond, how much more will our Father, who is in heaven, who delights to do this, give us these good things when we need them? I would just also point you to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, where we find us a parable that Jesus tells of an unjust judge and a widow who, who comes to him again and again and again for, uh, for him to hear her case and to, to grant her appeal, and he won't do it, but finally he does, again, because of her persistence. And again, it's a contrast between what so often we are like and what God is like. Unfortunately, I'm aware that some of you, perhaps many of you, 
know all too well the difficulty and even the debilitation that comes from chronic suffering, chronic pain, either through an injury or a disease. Perhaps it's you yourself, or maybe it's someone close to you. Let me ask you, have you spent much time and effort and expense, yes, and even prayer, into getting help? I, sh- I, I don't even, without knowing who I'm speaking to, I know the answer to that question is yes. You, you've gone to great lengths to gri- try to get help, to try to solve whatever your problem, whatever your suffering is. And uh, unfortunately, all too often, uh, what you have sought has been ineffective or what you have found has been ineffective in, in producing lasting results. And I just want you to know, I, I pray for you. I pray for this congregation on a regular basis. I go through the directory and pray for you. And I know many of you who are suffering. But I want to turn the page a little bit. Use that illustration and apply it here. I want us all to think about our chronic, habitual problem of sin, of selfishness, of responding to people in the wrong way, of desiring the wrong things, of not loving our neighbor as ourselves, of not loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. What do we do about that? Have we expended, do we expend the same kind of intense, persistent effort in praying for greater obedience, greater love, greater holiness, greater passion for the lost, greater trust in the Lord, greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, greater likeness to Jesus Have we expended the same kind of intense effort in prayer that a chronic sufferer would expend on getting help for physical distress? This is what we are called to. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Ask and keep on asking, but then seek and keep on seeking. But but greater yet, knock And keep on knocking. Why? Because we will not receive this kind of character. We will not receive this kind of gracious life change. Changing into the image of Christ. Apart from this kind of persistent, earnest, fervent prayer it's the way the lord has designed it it's the way it works true happiness true biblical blessedness requires both a delight in god's word and a progressive persistent prayer life of asking seeking and knocking to be conformed to the image of Christ. How badly do we want this happiness, this blessedness? Let's pray.
our Heavenly Father. We are so blessed already to know that you have loved us with an everlasting love that led you to send Jesus to do what we could never do for ourselves. Die on the cross to satisfy your justice. Rise from the dead to demonstrate your approval, your satisfaction with his death, his atonement. And then, Lord, to grant us his spirit. And, Lord, we need ever-increasing fillings of your spirit. Lord, we need you. We need this grace, this help. So, Father, we ask, we seek, we knock. Lord, help us to make this a priority, perhaps the priority in our lives today and every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.